Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Duncan Holder on a Thursday, December 21st. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan, Clyde Verdan here in our NOLA.com Times Picayune studios at the foot of Canal Street. Dave back at iHeart Central. Not as angry today because even though Clyde's here, Dave and Clyde are already yelling at each that other. That is not true. That is not already true. Shut yelling up, Clyde. at each other. See? That is not true. That when, is ex- the exact I phrase am, I, I am, heard. I'm calling shenanigans on that. When Dave knows Clyde's coming on, he takes his meds and everything's fine. <laughs> <laughs> takes his meds, aka bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> aka shots in the, in the production booth brown before liquor, I get on. Brown liquor colored med. Hey, it's Thursday. It's close enough to Friday. It's close enough to noon. So what? You it's can... close enough to Christmas. People are already drinking. It's fine. Right or Bloody Marys, whatever. It's all good. No, but. Uh, Great show lined up for you. Lots of Saints, Falcons talk. Of course, we had a chance to get into the locker room yesterday. Uh, you'll hear from Drew Brees, some of his thoughts. Uh, very happy Saints locker room, I would say. Lots of uh, smiling faces, specifically those of making the Pro Bowl. Lots of uh, congrats. Uh, lots of uh, bro hugs from uh, the players as far as not to the media, but to themselves, basically, in a, in a fired-up mood that uh, six players made the Pro Bowl. And, uh, look, we'll hear from Drew Brees talking about Michael Thomas, a wide receiver finally making it. Uh, you'll hear for what Drew Brees has to say about Mark Ingram. He went into Mark Ingram love fest again, rightfully so, especially after the last game. They needed everything they could get from Mark Ingram uh, to help beat the Jets. So we'll hear from Drew Brees. We'll also hear from our own Josh Katzenstein, top the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, Jeff, you weren't in the locker room yesterday, but Drew Brees – Probably pulled one of the funnier little moments I've seen him do in a in a press conference setting. Is that with Josh? With Josh, yeah, I heard about it. Yeah, it, it was it was funny. Uh, I, I'm wondering what uh, what it sounded like on his recorder. I'll just throw it out there. So Drew Brees was trying to describe how Michael Thomas catches a football, how he goes out and snatches a football, and so what Drew does, he literally reaches out and snatches. Josh's recorder away from him uh, as if like he was David Blaine you know magician just takes it away and then gives it back to him so I'm I'm wondering if Josh was able to transcribe that correctly with all the thudding and paw grabbing Josh and all said that. it would have made a great video but it wasn't going to work textually to be able to describe it that's a case of a picture telling the thousand words good thing our own Amos Morale has video of it and yes. it's on our uh, site and on our YouTube channel uh, for NOLA.com on our Saints YouTube channel so uh, you can check that out but uh, I do not have that audio so uh, because I quickly stepped away from it and did not uh, was not recording anymore anyway we'll uh, we'll talk about that uh, moral of the story is Michael Thomas snatched football 
out of the air as opposed to letting it come to him. And Drew Brees says uh, he's only seen really a few players he's ever either played with or played against with the capabilities of making that happen. Well, I think Marcus Colston did that. I remember doing a story when Colston first came into the league. I interviewed his receivers coach from Hofstra, and he talked about the the drills they used to get Colston and all the receivers at Hofstra to catch the ball with their hands. What they did is they painted on the tip of a football different letters in each quadrant, you know, at the little tip how the seams go. Right. And they would throw the ball and have the players focus on those spiraling letters, and they'd have to call out the actual letter that they saw as it was coming into their hands so you would catch it that way. And they did it over and over and over. It had different lump numbers and different letters, so they couldn't cheat. And I thought that was a fascinating drill, and it certainly helped Colston. He, he would definitely catch the ball with his hands. Yeah, absolutely. It's, he, that's probably one of the other players Drew Brees was, was alluding to there. But we'll hear from Drew Brees uh, later on in the show. Also, Sean Payton was speaking with the Atlanta media, and he was asked about the choking gesture that he made towards Devontae Freeman. We'll bring you his well, thoughts. He was misunderstood. That's misunderstood. He was talking to his defenders, Larry. I thought he was talking to the referee because Cam Jordan got choked. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it was not, he wasn't talking to Devonta Freeman. He was he was talking to the referees because his players were being held. Don't you remember? That's what that's what everybody said. That's what they say. That's what everybody said. Everybody did not include Sean Payton, by the way, in that whole oh. narrative. Oh, I thought I, I just thought he was talking to the officials and was explaining the choking of his players. I thought he just had juicy fruit stuck in his throat and needed the Heimlich. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I was oh, misunderstood. Oh, you wait. Two, you two are incorrigible right now. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe he, what was actually happening and what looked like was actually happening was actually what happened. You know, for wait only being on for an hour and a half today, uh, we're, we've certainly started off this show quite well. Exactly. So we will uh, spell out Sean Payton's comments in- from that. Good word, by the way. Well, thank you. Clyde. Look at Clyde. Clyde in his cocky smile. He's like, look at, look at me. Wordsmith McGee over there. That actually is a pretty accurate description of us. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll, uh, we'll, we'll bring our thoughts about that, and we'll give you what, uh, what he said uh, to the Atlanta media as well. Uh, and as Clyde just alluded to, Cutting today's show short because Tulane's men's basketball at high noon, they're going to be taking on South Alabama uptown. And, of course, that means you'll be hearing from our good buddy Todd Graffinini, the voice of the Tulane Green Wave. Uh, Their pregame show starts at 1130, so we will be off the air at 1130 leading up to Tulane men's basketball taking on South Alabama. Tulane 8-3 and already, and this would be a good win for Tulane because conference play starts up in a week at Temple. So this is basically their final tune-up before the AAC schedule comes up. And, of course, the AAC schedule in basketball is a daunting one with uh, plenty of good competition that they're going to have to face throughout the season. So uh, great start for the Green Wave, and you'll be able to catch that game coming up here at high noon. I love that we're having encouraging talk about college basketball because I grew up in college basketball country. I love that time of year. There's nothing better for me in sports journalism than getting into a packed gym for a big game, whether it's a conference game late in the season. Uh, that environment, it's just electric. And there's no better place to watch a great game than Fogelman. 
or Devlin Fieldhouse. You know, it's it's just a great environment for college basketball. So I'm really excited to see Tulane basketball kind of getting back in the right direction. And they've got a good young team, uh, and Mike Dunleavy's getting it done. I, I didn't know how it was going to turn out with Mike Dunleavy. I don't think anybody did, uh, but it's turned out, I think, even better than everybody expected. Well, this season, I think, is he because he got his hands on – uh, making some moves and some recruits, and uh, look, they've got some good players. Transfers, and, right? Exactly. So, uh, and then Clyde, you did not realize this, but the last time Tulane played basketball was Monday night against Nichols. Look at Clyde, un uncocky Clyde now, very uncocky. I'm very nonplussed right now. Tulane was down by 20 against Nichols, which you know very well. Nichols, you, you're familiar with that place. Shout out to the alma mater. And Tulane came back and won 76-69. Just a heads up, just in case you were wondering. Nichols is just re- uh, gearing up for the Southland Conference. I don't care about anything that goes on in the preseason. Of course. I'm I cocky care. Clyde I don't care. here I don't care. on a Thursday. You heard it here first, guys. Uh, Nichols, Colonels, Southland Conference champs, 2018, going to the tourney. You heard it here you first. You heard it here first. How come we don't have a Nichols towel? I can, I can bring one. What, I, I know people. On? I know people. Well, let's get that done. Okay, I got you. Let's get that done, I Mr. got Colonel. you. <laughs> Mr. Colonel, I've got so much. I've got so much like stuff. He's the KFC guy. <laughs> Better than being the Kool Aid man because Colonel I am Verdan. big and just wear something red. The Kool Aid. Uh, we need man. a Nichols pennant. Uh, I can get that. I can right. get that. Right. I know people. Right. I'm very. I'm very famous. You're, to who? Uh, to my wife mostly. Infamous to your wife. That too. I'm just a jackass to my wife. So there. Well, you go. we well we know. And and again, I would love to have her on the show one day. And, like, have you say nothing, just ask her all the questions. That's un- unfortunate for her. She's at work currently, so she's not. Uh, we she, can find time. She's putting together her own show that's actually a professional show. That people actually watch and, you know, take seriously? Like, she is Dave to our show, which Dave keeps our show flowing. I hope she's much nicer than Dave. Depends. And clearly she's already better looking. Depend. Oh, God. Cock- blow. Cock- Cock- yeah, Clyde, you man. really want to go there today, huh? <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's feeling saucy on a Thursday. Dave, Happy holidays, y'all. Dave, why don't we take a quick break right here on the show? When we get back, we'll get rid of Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We'll, we'll cut his mic off. No, we will talk recruiting. Let's see where LSU and Tulane shape up as far as the opening day of the signing period. Of course, that ends tomorrow. And looks like LSU, as we were on the show yesterday, LSU's already got a good haul. Uh, we'll go through some of these rankings. Of course, they, they could change by the day. At this point, and then it'll be a lull, and then they'll change when National Signing Day comes in February. But let's go through some of these rankings uh, as far as who's the best in the nation, where LSU stands, where Tulane stands. So we'll talk about that. And, of course, if you want to jump in, we'll have some free time. Your phone calls, 504-260-1280 is the number to get involved here on Sports1280NOLA.com and the iHeartRadio app. Duncan Holder. smile off your face before I come over there and smack it off. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. <laughs> Peter Dinklage just smacking you down, Clyde. Well, I mean, you'd have to get on a ladder to do so, but it's still funny. Here what's, we go. What's the famous saying? You don't, you don't fight someone that prints, uh, that 
buys ink by the barrel, and you don't get in a fight with someone that controls the sound system or the. the you don't board, tug on Superman's system. cape. That yeah. too, exactly. You've, exactly, you cocky pick, Clyde. You pick the wrong guy to get into a I battle mean, with. I mean, this is all playful banter. I mean, <laughs> now it's playful. Now this is all playful, witty, witty banter. banter. This is what goes on in England. That's how you got to fight in England. If like you're really like getting it, jawing back with somebody, and say, "Oh, it's just a bit of banter," ah, and then he won't punch you in the face. Now he's talking in a British accent. All right, we're moving on. College football recruiting rankings are out there everywhere. Everyone's got them, and LSU, of course, got most of the guys that they were targeting on day one of the early signing period. LSU, according to 24/7 Sports, ranks 15th leaving yesterday and going into today. According to Rivals, they are 13th or 12th. They're 12th in Rivals. They are 15th in 24-7. And on ESPN, they are 12th. So pretty consensus uh, around where LSU did. And, and Jeff, we were talking about this going into the show. Uh, Their class isn't going to look as sparkling as others because – they zeroed in, especially in this early period, on beefing up both sides of the line. And they went the JUCO route and got guys who could come in and really play immediately. And so but I think that's about right. And, and I don't think LSU fans should be discouraged of where they're, they're ranked right no, now. No, not at all. I mean, you can't worry about star rankings and things like that with this class. This class was about addressing needs and filling some holes on the roster that they feel good about the rest of their roster. I think they know they need to improve the depth of both lines and some of the talent level, quite frankly. They're going to have some attrition there in the offseason. Uh, they brought in a kicker. <laughs> you know, they're, they're filling needs on this team. And also with one uh, bit of focus toward the future, and that is the, the 2019 and 2020 classes in the state of Louisiana are stacked. So I think they're doing their due diligence – working those classes hard because there's a lot of star-type talent in those two classes. And frankly, this year's class, generally speaking, as a whole, did not uh, measure up to typical Louisiana standards. And also, two of the top recruits that LSU, two of their top targets, are still unsigned. So that could change their ranking as well. Terrace Marshall from Shreveport and Pat Sertan Jr. from down in Florida. Those are two of their top targets that They've got great chances of landing, and if they add one or both of those, uh, their ranking's going to climb uh, exponentially. Right, but and you look at the recruiting rankings as far as twenty four seven and rivals. Uh, we'll start with twenty four seven Georgia, number one. I think getting the uh, Justin Fields, the big time quarterback that LSU kind of had a hand in for a little while, but that evaporated. Georgia's one. Ohio State, Texas, Penn State, Miami round out the top five. Alabama's at six, Jeff. What in the world is going on? Nick Saban's losing his losing his chokehold. Well, it's over. Alabama and Clemson are six seven, but that's strictly because of their, their they were more uh, quant, quality over quantity. Alabama only had seventeen signees total. Clemson only has fifteen, but of Clemson's fifteen signees, four or five stars. Uh, five or four uh, wait four or five stars six or four stars and the other five are three stars so every player they're getting is high level recruit 
So they don't have the numbers, say, Georgia has. Right. And rounding out the top ten, Notre Dame, Oklahoma, and Auburn. Then it's Washington, Michigan, Oregon, Florida, then LSU. So that's according to 24-7 sports. As far as rivals, pretty similar, but a little little bit of a changeup. But Georgia and Ohio State are still 1-2. Texas, 3. Penn State, 4. Miami, 5. Then it's Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Alabama at 8. Auburn, 9. Clemson, 10. Oregon at 11. And LSU at number 12. So you're seeing, though, Jeff, Kirby Smart getting it done. You're seeing your boy, the fighting Tom Hermans. I told you. You've told me. to tell you, don't doubt Tom Herman. He's going to be a star. A star. I, I wouldn't doubt it, say, if LSU hired Tom Herman. I would have been all on board with that. The problem is that LSU got played like a fiddle. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right. In the old negotiating Well, I think period. if they would have come up with an astronomical number, yes. they'd have got him. Yes. But they weren't going to do that. And I don't understand that because I think LSU can pay as much as they want, right? I mean, they've got unlimited resources. True, but at the same time, if you're Kirby Smart, why would you want to go to the SEC West? Well, no, Tom Herman. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom Herman. Yeah, right. but the same thing, though. Like, why would you want to come to the SEC West? Well, Especially looking point. at the number of coaches that have now been that have now left the SEC West, number one. Especially when you go to the Big 12, you probably have a longer shelf life in the Big 12. Texas is probably going to give you a few more resources than uh, – well, yeah, uh, Texas is the one school that yeah. can out-resource LSU. Yeah. One of the few, Yeah, if any. But if you're a coach and if you are the guy, say if you're Tom Herman and you just brought Houston back onto the map and you're a competitive guy, do you really say, oh, I don't want to go compete with Nick Saban because I don't th- – you're basically admitting yes. that you're not good enough. <laughs> yes, you do. That's exactly what I would do. You're just looking at where can you win a national title. And, where, that's what, you're and what place can employ me the longest. But I think, I think you're right, Clyde. I mean, Texas, you can win a national title, and you can get there quicker because, frankly, of all the factors he brought up. And, I mean, Texas is the richest athletic department in the country. Well, it's not like – okay, now I'm going back. Because Les Miles lasted, what, a decade? I mean, yeah, you can last a long time in the SEC eight. just because Nick Saban's there. I mean, <laughs> everyone's, oh, Nick Saban, let me run away. If you're, I feel like if you're not a competitive guy, why not go to LSU? LSU's won national championships without Nick Saban. If you're a, but if, if you've got those two choices, there's not too many places I would say. Well, no. Texas is a different. That's what I'm saying. Yes. I, I don't think, like, I would probably pick Florida State over LSU. I would just because of the same reasons, but they don't have quite the resources that. Texas has, but they no. do have the playing talent, and Texas is is a Goliath. I mean, it, there there's no reason why they shouldn't be playing for national titles every other year. And don't tell that to LSU fans who who would have loved to pull the plug on Les Miles in 2013, 2013, 2014. I mean, at that point, you're talking about fans that were already restless as it is. Uh, and I mean, look at if Texas A&M, which 
it's sneaky how much money Texas A&M has as well, uh, especially with upgrading their facilities. If Kevin Sumlin can win eight games a year, and that's better in his time than what Texas A&M had in the last 20 before that, and that's still not good enough, then how do you look at how do you not look at that and say that's going to be a big gamble? It may pay off, but if I can go to Texas over here and they want me and they want to pay me all this money and I got all this resources, Red McCombs money, oh yeah, I'm definitely taking that. Yeah, well, one of the things that always bothered me back the remember the national narrative when Johnny Manziel made his run and it was oh Johnny Manziel built this new stadium at Texas A&M. That was such a lazy narrative story angle. If you know anything about Texas A&M, just like Clyde said, they are deep-pocketed. They have an incredible alumni base, and they have incredible resources, as proven by going out and getting Jimbo Fisher. What are they paying him, $7 million a year or something crazy? For 10 crazy. years. For 10 years. Uh, they're doing, they were doing just fine before Johnny Manziel got there, and they're going to do fine after he left. It, that was just such a silly way to look at Texas A&M football. They, they've been good for a long time. Yes, they had a nice spike when he was there, but they're still good, and they will be good going forward. So it was not one player that built that stadium. Now, looking at Texas A&M, you got me curious. Okay, remember how we were wondering how Jimbo Fisher would do initially right away recruiting. Right now, their class, according to 24-7, is 28th. According to rivals, it's 37th. So uh, they still got some work to do with Jimbo Fisher, and – just go through some of these other programs. Tennessee has a new coach. I'm just going to use 24-7 sports. Tennessee has a new coach. Uh, they're 26 in these rankings. Uh, Mississippi State, they're 20th. Uh, so Florida's 14. Oregon's 13. So some of these schools, they still got to play some catch-up. Who's 25th in that ranking? Oh, boy. The Fighting Petrinos are 25th. Oh. Hip, hip, hooray. Baylor's better than you. They won, like, one game last year. Also true. Good luck to you, Jeff. Mighty Cardinals. By the way, if you're curious, let's take a break right here on the show. If you're curious, I did look up Tulane's rankings, and they're not going to be superly impressive as far as in the top 15, top 20. But according to 24-7 sports, Tulane's class is 65th, and according to rivals, it's 66th. But it seems like that on their level, they were able to get in as we're talking about yesterday with, with Amos Morale about getting in some prospects locally, and so that that's going to start making some headway. And, Jeff, you were mentioning it, and we, we don't know specifically what's going on, but they're still badly trying to land Lindsey Scott. So I'm wondering how, how legitimate they are in trying to get the former LSU quarterback. From what I understand, Lindsey Scott desperately wants to play in a Power 5 conference, so he's kind of holding out to see if maybe a scholarship offer comes his way. But Tulane is in very good. I think he's intrigued by their offense, and I think he's, that's still a realistic possibility. and be a great, great get for Tulane. He's also a fantastic student. He's really he's a very, very smart kid and away I, from it, too. He's, he's Literally, if there's one kid that I would want all the success in the world for, it's him. One of the nicest, sharpest, great kids. And I think he would be a sophomore eligible, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. He would actually have three years of eligibility. I may be wrong, but I think that's right. I honestly don't know, so I'm just I'm just trusting every word you tell me here. So that's always you should dangerous. do that all time. <laughs> that's very dangerous. All right, let's take a break right here on the show. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about Sean Payton and the choking gesture. Let's do it. Sports 1280 NOLA.com and the iHeartRadio app. For Duncan Holder.
the uncensored talk about your teams. It's Sports 1280, New Orleans. Welcome back, Duncan Holder. Again, we're going to be getting off the air in about an hour. Tulane men's basketball starts their pregame show at 11.30. They're taking on South Alabama. Tulane's 8-3. Of course, that means you'll be hearing from our good buddy Todd Graffinini as we're uh, the home for Tulane men's basketball. Off to a good start. Their last non-conference game leading up to conference play in a week. They'll be at Temple to open conference play on December 28th. But, again, we'll be off the air at 11.30 today. Uh, So, any fake false storylines you want to get to, uh, Jeff, right here uh, in this segment? Like, you mean? uh, Like, Sean Payton choking on a juicy fruit. Uh, He was talking about how maybe he had an itch in his throat. I don't know. What what was up with that? I I will say this about the whole thing. I, one of the things I like about Sean Payton the most as a coach is he's not afraid to admit when he's wrong. He, he it might take him a while, but he comes around, and the way he handled that with the Atlanta media yesterday was perfect. He owned it. He admitted why it was wrong, and then spoke about how you know he expects his players to maintain their poise and composure on the sidelines. And here he is acting like a wild man, and and that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point we were talking about in the press box the night of the game. Now, when we asked Sean Payton about it in the heat of the moment, 10 minutes after the game was over, he still denied it because he was still in that zone. But he came around, owned it, and that one of the reasons why his players like him is because he is so passionate and into it. But also players will tell you, during a game sometimes, they have to just tune him out. And so when we've seen him get into it with – Mark Ingram or Rob Ryan or Dennis Allen over the years. Everybody on that sidelines knows Sean Payton is a is a maniac sometimes on the sidelines, and they're used to it. So it looks a lot worse, I think, to the general public than it actually is internally within the team. So, of course, we're referring to the choke gesture that Sean Payton now admittedly gave to Devontae Freeman. And people on social media, of course, Jeff attacking you, attacking me, attacking Josh Katzenstein on the story, and it's uh, no. Give us a break, Sean. Delusional. Payton, it, it's it's, and Sean Payton didn't even like create this storyline. This happened like through fandom, like just people trying to make excuses for Sean Payton. And look, I'll just give you his thoughts on this. And this is uh, the question was asked by uh, Daryl Ledbetter from the AJC, Atlanta Journal-Constitution. He asked Sean Payton about this yesterday when he spoke with the Atlanta media. But, and before I say the comments, I'm in exact agreeance with you. The way he handled it yesterday is fine. I, I personally don't care that he's heated. Just I just don't want Saints fans or whoever to just – you know, stick up falsely for they something blindly that, follow exactly, line. and it's and it's actually something that Sean Payton didn't even put out there. Like it just came to right, light, but, like somewhere in like a basement of somebody's house. But I, I would know. say again, it goes back to something I say all the time. I think there's a vocal minority out there that that we start labeling all the Saints fans. This that's not true. I think there's the social true, media right. group that kind of gets out there and, and starts this narrative. And it's uh, not representative of all the fan base. I think there were a lot of Saints fans looking at that going, what's he doing? He's out of control. He crossed right. the line. Right. And and people, the okay, the, the vocal minority asked, why is this even a story? Well, let me read you Sean Payton's quote. 
And I now I think it's actually almost a bigger story uh, than it was before. Just here's what Sean Payton had to say. Listen, the mistake I made that night was letting my emotions get the best of me. It's the same thing that we talk about with our players all the time. It wasn't good, and I felt like as that game went on, it even affected me in calling plays. That in and of itself tells me that he knows he was acting way too crazy. That gesture was part of it. Obviously, the screaming at the officials. And it blinded him and affected the way he did his job. So that quote in and of itself tells me that it's a story that needed to be told. Here's more of what Sean Payton had to say. I've got to, I've got to be better that way. It was frustrating for some of the, from some of the officiating, but you learn even when you've been in this thing as long as I have. It's something that you regret and you look back on. What are you doing? He even questioned himself, like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Yes, yes. Payton does that a lot, where he self-examines himself and questions. Well, he acts. And he also said, so I think that's the thing that bugged me for the better part of the week. Basically that he knows he overreacted. And uh, according to Mike Triplett's story of ESPN, he says that he texted Devontae Freeman and apologized. So you have that. And it's just something that, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it just bugged me that some of the reaction, like we're, we're just trying to create something that, wasn't there even though it's the other way around some people were trying to give this mirage of something that really wasn't there I mean someone sent you a tweet of Manti Teo supposedly getting choked uh no that was like not even close to being choked it's absurd yeah it's just at some point people are so delusional they're going to believe what they want to believe right you keep their that's helpless or hopeless I should say right all I know is I'm betting Sean Payton learned from it I don't think he's going to act as wild and crazy now is he going to be amped up for this game and do the saints need him to be amped up for this game and will the crowd feed off of that yes i'm not saying that sean payton needs to calm it down just don't go start choking well, and, a, and into a falcons player I think, about the Super i think Bowl. he does need to calm down a little bit i mean he he let his emotions get the best of him there and and took a penalty that ended their game and i know it was a remote chance for them to get the ball back with 18 seconds left and throw a hail mary but things happen in the nfl it does all they needed was a field goal. So I think that was, you know, letting his emotions get out of hand and cost them a, a potentially a shot at a, at a last-second win. If you're going to be emotional, just do it in a positive way. That's what I would oh, say. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, think, I don't care that he, he's fiery. Just don't start – I mean, that, that creates this whole thing. Well, that doesn't – that's also lacking class. I mean – well, that's I, lacking class, well, so you don't do that. I if, think if, if Sean knows it. If Sean Dan Quinn it. did that to Michael Thomas, Saints fans would go berserk. Also accurate. But I think the uh, – like, I I was going to say this about specifically now where the Saints are, where the Saints have been in the last few years of now with success and expectations. I think the idea of having a coach like Sean Payton – Especially the guy that's fist pumping on the sidelines after you know after a really big play or making a really great call and the guys are playing well. I think that's something that Saints fans are absolutely completely wanting of. Like they want a coach that is that confident, that's having at least some fun. But you're right, there's a dangerous precedent because it can backfire, and then you can have 
a person that has so much emotion built up and is so invested in the game that sometimes your judgment gets clouded and then it turns from being, hey, like, obviously Sean Payton's jacked up, he's excited to, uh, what? where do we get this penalty from and why is he making a choking gesture to uh, an opposing player? Yeah, I mean, what did Devonta Freeman Like, what did he do? Other than, that, other than try to play well, try to run saying, up the clock. can't justify that. I mean, uh, it's one thing to get into the game. It's another thing to... What did, what did they do? They lost a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. You can call him a choker all you want. Just don't do it on the sideline in the middle of the game. Yeah, that's out of Here's line. what you could have done. Don't do the choke sign and just point at him and just tell him, and then you get your point across. Or better yet, point That's to, what he could have done. Maybe you could point cool. to your ring, you know, Super Bowl ring right. finger and be like, hey. I'd have been fine with that. Cover, yeah. Like, there are levels. There are levels between, like, hey, some playful jabbing of, like, hey, you still don't have this, and then completely and outright just – disrespect to no end. I mean, Sean could have broken open his shirt and it could have had like one of those 28 to 3 shirts. That would have been hilarious. I would like to know how how often that does go on in the NFL. I, that would be a good story, I think. How often do coaches engage with other players? Is is that unique to Sean Payton or you know, does Pete Carroll do that? I think it's pretty rare. I don't think there's too uh, many coaches. Let me see. Talking trash. I'm going to bet Jim Caldwell and Bill Belichick those guys who are basically emotionless. I don't think they're uh, somebody's running on the sideline being like, so you guys are about to be 0 16, right? And just, and I don't think Belichick is who needling would, someone. Is there like any that. coach you can think of that would do it besides Sean Payton? Maybe Sean McVay's pretty active, but I don't think he's doing that. I don't know. I, I can't think of anybody. Mike Tomlin, maybe? He's pretty Ravens, fiery. He's with the Bengals, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, because he's pretty fired with the Steelers. Mike Tomlin is probably – Jim Harbaugh might have done it back in his day. Yeah, he's been known to chirp at some players on the sideline. I think uh, – was it last year or two years ago when uh, – I'm trying to... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Remember, like the Ravens got in some big scuffle. I can't remember the team, um, but like he came on the field and was just You're talking about John Harbaugh or I mean, Jim Harbaugh. I'm sorry, John Harbaugh. Yes. Well, and I think Jim Harbaugh. I think was and then Jim Harbaugh, Harbaugh does some stuff do too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's a former player. Yeah. You know, he was in the mix. Yeah. I think guys, you, you fall in line with guys who are former players, maybe because they fall back into that a little bit. Yeah. All right. Let's sum up this segment as far <laughs> as I think Sean Payton did the right thing and apologizing to Devontae. Agreed. Give him apologizing credit. to Devontae Freeman, coming out owning it. Now the story dies. Like now, I think it fades away and it goes away. He just he knows well, he unless can't. he does it against Sunday. <laughs> well, unless he does like a throat slash to Matt Ryan or something. But at the very I don't least, think that's going to happen. At the very least, it's it adds another wrinkle to this obvious rivalry between. What, the no doubt Falcons. about that. What if what if Sean Payton is elected to do to start the Houdat chant and he walks out and does the choke sign to start it, <laughs> start the game. That's what he should do. Or I'm telling you, break out the 28 to three T-shirt for the Houdat chant. It would blow the top that off would, a dome. Exactly. So, anyway, I'm gonna give kudos to Sean to for actually. It's a very nice thing. You're right because he needed to. Right. Well, I mean, I'm not gonna go overboard on you know. I mean, I'm giving you don't have to. Not kudos it. for the choke sign. Kudos for owning up. He to did it. own it. And he does that a lot. I yeah. mean, he said I'll never forget what he said uh, to Kai Forbath when he cut Kai Forbath. 
and, and end up going with Will Lutz. He told Kai Forbath, look, this might end up biting me in the butt. might be the worst decision I've ever made, and I'm going to have to own it because it's a totally Hail Mary that I'm doing here. So he, he sometimes will admit when he made, he admitted he screwed up Rob Ninkovich, you know? Yes. He admits these things, and it's very refreshing because you don't hear that often, and it shows he's secure and confident. Absolutely. So let's hear from Drew Brees next segment to his thoughts on Saints-Falcons and uh, some players going to the Pro Bowl. So come on back. Sports1280NOLA.com and the iHeartRadio app. Duncan Holder. This is Duncan Holder on Sports 1280 New Orleans. Let's hear from Drew Brees. Spoke with the media yesterday. Had plenty to talk about, obviously. Pro Bowls, Saints-Falcons game. So uh, let's just run through these. And, of course, in about 15 minutes, we'll have our own Josh Katzenstein, NOLA.com, and the Times-Picune. We will talk the latest Saints-Falcons tidbits. But let's hear from Drew Brees. Of course, super excited for his buddy Michael Thomas making the Pro Bowl. First wide receiver in the Drew Brees era in New Orleans to make the Pro Bowl. Of course, he's had Jimmy Graham make it, Mark Ingram's made it, now Alvin Kamara's made it, so he's had running backs, tight ends, offensive linemen, never a wide receiver. Let's So, so let's see what Drew Brees has to say about a wide receiver finally making a Pro Bowl. That's significant, you know? That's, uh, I mean, you guys have been here for the majority of that time. Um, a lot of good ones have come through here, a lot of guys that you certainly felt like were deserving, you know, at different times to... Uh, to be pro bowlers. Um, in my mind, they were, you know, but uh, to actually have a little bit of validation, have one, at, you know, uh, go in, that's that's awesome. Um, I wish I wish some of the O-line could have been in there. They certainly deserved it as well. I know there's a lot of good O-linemen out there, but, but our guys um, certainly deserved it as well. Look what they did in the pass game and the run game this year. Pretty phenomenal, their versatility and, and what they were able to accomplish. And Mark Ingram making another pro bowl, rightfully so. I've made my case for him enough and I'm I'm glad humanity at least listen I'm gonna take credit for it because that's what I do here on Duncan Holder take credit for everything that actually happens good in the world nothing wrong with that or as much as much grief as we take in our roles you've got to take credit where you get it exactly even Mark gave me credit thankfully it's amazing I know well deservedly so on that well yeah Mark Ingram look having one of the best seasons in the NFL as far as running back uh and Drew Brees is uh, one of his biggest supporters. So let's hear what Drew Brees has to say about Mark Ingram's growth. I, I think it's uh, probably a level of comfort, you know, just um, with the offense and in his own ability and um, just, you know, being being healthy and having an opportunity, you know. I mean, that's those first few years, you know, he was just injury bug, injury bug. And so I just, you know, and keep in mind, too, you know, we had Sproles, we had Pierre, you know, so stuff was getting spread around quite a bit to where, you know, he, he – I think I think most most running backs need a good flow, a good rhythm. You know, the opportunity to get a few carries, to get a few, and and, and I think in the beginning, Mark was, you know, kind of that, you know, base personnel back, you know, and because we had Sproles and we had Pierre, and they, they were kind of filling the other roles, and but but Mark is is blossoming this just total all-purpose back. I mean, he can do everything, um, and Alvin Kamara can do everything. You know, so we said it all year. You know, you can plug those guys in. To any situation and feel very comfortable, very confident um, in their ability to do the job. And I know they feel that way about you know, themselves. I mean, they're confident guys. And um, it's been fun to watch 
Mark grow over the years because we've had a lot of time together now. Which has been this is seventh season, seven years, um, and obviously Alvin's just getting started. And Mark Ingram, I spelled it out in my first and ten column last week, and how if Mark Ingram received anywhere near the volume of Le'Veon Bell, he'd be leading the NFL in rushing. But he has 90-plus carries less than Le'Veon Bell. And he ranks – he's only, I don't know, less than 200 yards behind him. So, look, big drop-off there. But that just shows you when Mark touches the ball, he's getting it done. I think what something Drew Brees said there is important for all of us to think about and understand. He said he's he's blossoming into this all-purpose back that's – that's becoming a force in the passing game in all phases of the game. And I think that's important to recognize is that players get better. They come into the league, they work, and they develop. And the Saints have helped him develop, but you have to credit him for putting in the work. But he's made himself a better player. I bring that up all the time about Cameron Jordan. Cameron Jordan has continued to get better every year in the league. So it's easy to kind of label somebody early on as, oh, a bust. Uh, You know, it's easy, uh, I think, of Akeem Hicks – uh, to give up on a player when they continue to develop and they become much better players in year five and six through through work and through effort. And Mark Ingram certainly has done that and become a big-time back in this league. Absolutely. Let's see what Drew Brees has to say uh, about the game itself. Look, obviously a huge game. If the Saints lose this one to the Falcons, uh, they lose any advantage they have basically over the Falcons even though they're tied. And Carolina could jump up on them if they beat Tampa Bay. So let's hear what Drew Brees has to say about this being a big game. Well, listen, of course it's big. It's, it's the end of the year. Um, you know, there's a lot at stake. Obviously, we want to be playing our best football. It's a divisional opponent, um, you know, one we're very familiar with, one we just played two weeks ago, you know. So um, it's all about the week of preparation and going out and playing and play our best. And, Jeff, I know the Saints are wanting to get the crowd more jacked up. They're handing out, what, the towels? Rally towels. Rally towels will be on the seats for everyone in the Dome. And let's see what Drew Brees has to say about the crowd becoming a major factor for this game. The crowd can make a huge difference, you know I mean? Because at the end of the day, you know, you expect a game like this to, to be determined on the last possession. And, um, you know, there's, there's defining moments throughout the course of a game. You know, there's moments that, you know, um, make a huge difference in the game. And if crowd noise can have a huge impact on that you know all of a sudden you get them to jump off sides on a third and three and it's third and eight and all of a sudden our guys get off the field and we get the ball back where you knock them out of field goal range because you know we were able to get off the ball and get a sack and you know whatever it might be I mean that's that that can be a huge determining factor in the game so um, we love that we know our fans are all about that so uh, we need to hoot that nation out in full force um, as ruckus as they can be and how about having a rematch with the Falcons so quickly well, bottom line is it's, it's uh, you know, it is pretty familiar just the fact that it was only two weeks ago, you know, this opponent, and uh, obviously a divisional opponent. So um, I think there's familiarity on both sides. Um, and we got a lot of respect for these guys as far as uh, their level of talent, their level of play. Um, you know, we know the type of game it's going to be, and we just have to go out and execute to perfection. That's classic breeze right there. Yeah, no doubt about it. <laughs> just got to play the game and – Execute, execute, and don't throw a pick in the end zone near the it's end. It's like of the a game. wind-up android quarterback. 
Except when he's talking about Mark Ingram or uh, snatching recorders away yeah. from our own Josh Katzenstein, who will be coming up. See, like a, like that tease? Segway. Nice segway. Coming up next year, we'll talk with our own Josh Katzenstein. Uh, so, hour number one is up. Hour number two is on the way. Come on back. Sports1280NOLA.com and the iHeartRadio app. Duncan Holder. It's the little Saint Dennis singing. Just a little bobsled we call it. Number two, on a Thursday, December 21st, if you missed any of our first hour or any of your shows from yesterday or the day before or the day before or any key interviews, you can go to sports1280.com. Check that out. And also, you can check out podcasts and uh, video forms of our shows at uh, NOLA.com's SoundCloud, iTunes, and YouTube page. And don't forget, we're off the air in about 25 minutes Cutting the show short today. Tulane men's basketball. They're going to be taking on South Alabama. They start their pregame show at 11.30. Tip at noon. So, of course, you'll be hearing from Todd Grappini, the voice of the Tulane Green Wave, as Sports 1280 is the home for Tulane men's basketball. Joining us right here on the show, our own Josh Katzenstein, NOLA.com, and the Times-Picayune Saints beat writer. And, Josh, I've had my recorder knocked away from – and a person I was trying to interview, like, I was trying to talk with Paul Tagliabue as he was trying to get into a car outside of a bounty hearing, and he went, ah, and knocked it away. And then one time I was trying to talk to Marvin Lewis at the Senior Bowl uh, about Carson Palmer wanting out, and he knocked my recorder away. He's like, I'm not here to talk about Carson. But So yesterday was the first where I've actually seen someone get his recorder snatched away. Has your recorder survived from the Drew Brees snatching away, or is it just – toast and you're going to sue him for a new recorder well i mean you're on to something maybe i should you know i could use a little uh, extra pocket change these days but uh no the recorder's fine there is a little bit of a uh you know odd sound from him snatching it out of my hands but uh you know hey I'll, I, as a reporter I'm, I'm fine with it it gives me a nice little anecdote to put in this mike thomas story that i'm writing right now I mean, he made it gold for you. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in the first hour, but no, Drew Brees was demonstrating how Michael Thomas snatches the ball out of the air, and he literally snatched the recorder away from Josh. But uh, but Josh, look, we, we've let's just start there with Michael Thomas. We we've written about him. You've written about him a ton. I've written about him a ton. And the fact that he's the first Saints wide receiver under the Drew Brees umbrella here uh, with the Saints to make the Pro Bowl, you could tell he was fired up. Uh, but the fact that he's getting recognition in year two uh, is certainly something significant. Just your thoughts on him getting in and, and kind of breaking that drought for the Saints. Well, yeah, I mean, it's really impressive. I mean, when we think about, you know, just the way this offense has operated, and there's certainly been some really productive guys. I mean, I think Jimmy Graham, you know, when we break it down, you know, he's probably a main reason that, you know, a wide receiver, quote-unquote, never made it you know, to the to the Pro Bowl because he was, you know, stealing so many targets. But, you know, I mean, there's no shame in sending a tight end to the Pro Bowl, which, you know, Jimmy Graham was doing. Um, but I actually just crunched a bunch of numbers. And I think one reason, and you can read, everyone can read my story at com. 
you know, probably within the next couple hours. Um, the reason Michael Thomas is going to the Pro Bowl is because, statistically speaking, he is Drew Brees' favorite receiver of all time. I, I looked at it, even going back to his San Diego days, and Michael Thomas this year has a higher share of Drew Brees' targets than any receiver or tight end he's ever had. Now, it doesn't include running backs because I think that's a little bit different, you know, when you look at, you know, the, you know, when he's throwing to a guy like Reggie Bush or Darren Sproles, those are obviously low percentage throws, or excuse me, higher percentage throws. Um, but looking at receivers, um, Mike Thomas this year, 28.5% of Drew Brees' targets. Uh, Jimmy Graham never had higher than 22%. Marcus Colston uh, never had higher than 22%. And the highest, you know, before this was actually Antonio Gates two years in a row going 27% when Breeze was in San Diego. So I think, you know, as great as Michael Thomas has been, you know, a key reason that he's so productive and finally making the Pro Bowl is that, uh, you know, Drew Breeze has an immense amount of trust in him. Josh, I'm curious, of all the Pro Bowl nominations, which one – did you think was I'm sorry the the Pro Bowl snubs? Is there anybody on this team that you felt like got snubbed that deserved to be in? Or and I know it wouldn't be an egregious snub, but just somebody that maybe had a Pro Bowl year that isn't going to be acknowledged on the Saints roster. Um, I think that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think you could make an argument for all five of their starting offensive linemen. I guess the hardest argument. And he probably came the closest would be Teron Armstead just because he hasn't played in as many games. But I mean, you look at everyone up front, and <laughs> excuse me, Mark Ingram and Drew Brees talked about this yesterday. I mean, when you can be as productive as this offense has been, you know, as a running team and a passing team, you know, the offensive line is a big reason why. And I think you know you could certainly make an argument that Max Unger should be there. I think he's been you know the anchor of that line. I think Larry Warford and Andres Pete have probably been two of the top guards in the league. And then, you know, Ryan Ramchick, I mean, if they wanted to find a way to get a third rookie there, you know, he certainly would have a case. Um, but I think, you know, Pro Bowls, you know, a, a lot of times, you know, the, the offensive linemen just go, you know, people that have been doing it for a while or big names. And, I mean, really the only one I think who would qualify for the Saints there would be Unger. But, you know, so I guess uh, after that long, thorough, explanation i guess max unger would be the biggest snub josh katzenstein covers the saints for nola.com and the times pick you joining us right here on duncan holder uh, josh the injury report from yesterday uh larry warford of course mispractice uh you have michael ho Manawanui, the concussion garrett griffin trey hendrickson and justin hardy uh, i think Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you're watching what happened with Larry Warford, you, uh, you could easily assume he's going to miss this game after uh, the shot he took against the Jets. Uh, but what are your thoughts maybe with Ted Ginn and Andres Pete? They were limited in practice yesterday. I think uh, th- that's probably a good sign for them coming up. Yeah, I think that's a good sign for those guys. Um, you know, just after effectively missing the last game, I mean, Andres Pete, you know, was active, but he only played one offensive snap. I think, 
you know, he's missed the last two games. So, uh, you know, in talking to Andres after the game on Sunday, you know, it sounds like they were just being cautious with him, hoping to get him ready for the stretch run. So I expect that he'll be back out there. Um, and same with Ted Ginn. You know, Ted Ginn told us last week that he expected to play, obviously, the coaches or the trainers had other opinions, but the fact that he was so close last week, probably a good indication that he'll be back out there this week. Yeah, Josh, uh, I know that you spoke with Dan Quinn, the Atlanta Falcons head coach, on the conference call the other day, and I thought there was an interesting transcript when I read through it where he was talking about the depth and quality of the running backs in this matchup. And I know a lot of people, John Gruden on Monday night, said he thought Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman were the best tandem in the NFL I'm sure it's just because he was calling that game at that time I think Saints fans would argue they've got a better tandem but Dan Quinn obviously uh, knows this game is going to be heavily influenced by who can stop each other on the ground what else did he have to say that kind of stood out to you during your conference call well yeah you mentioned that but and I uh, I pointed out to him I was like you know isn't it crazy that <laughs> excuse me with that stuff still getting over a little illness here but, uh, you know, I, I said, isn't it crazy that, uh, you know, we're talking about the running backs uh, considering the quarterbacks in, in this game? And, you know, he said, yeah, you know, maybe I should correct that to say, you know, if you like explosive plays and explosive offense, you know, this is the game because, you know, both of these offenses have incredible potential. Um, and then, you know, he was also talking about, you know, the, the defense. And he, I, I tried to get him to explain, you know, why his defenses have had such success against the Saints when you when you look back to, you know, when he was the defensive coordinator in Seattle, and obviously a lot of that has to do with the personnel the Seahawks have, but, you know, now the Falcons have won three in a row. A lot of that, I think, has to do with Deion Jones, just the speed that he has added to that defense. I mean, you look, he had the pick six last year. He had the game-ending interception this year. Um, so, you know, I was trying to get him to explain that, but, you know, instead he just offered a lot of praise for Sean Payton, as most coaches do. I mean, you know, he's still one of the, most innovative offensive minds and uh so yeah you know quinn has a lot to say if i if uh if i had to break it all down for you jeff we'd be here for another 10 minutes josh katzenstein nola.com and times picking covers the saints for us uh joining us right here on dunk and holder and uh, you were uh, asking drew Brees about dan quinn and the success he's had he said oh i'm gonna discount seattle and i said uh i wouldn't discount seattle <laughs> his days you brought up the stat that they were five and two uh, he was five and two again, uh, coaching against drew Brees, whether he was a defensive coordinator or, or a head coach but then drew Brees did bring up look atlanta's won the last three games and uh, the saints aren't used to dealing with atlanta and losing all the time they, they've had a lot of success uh, under Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Uh, what in your eyes have you seen that has made the Falcons more successful against the Saints uh, in this recent history? Well, I think a lot of it just has to do with team speed. Um, I, I think, you know, that's something that the Saints sort of lacked uh, <laughs> the past few years while they were struggling, you know, mostly on defense. They were lacking speed. When you look at that Falcons team, I mean, just you know, from their offensive playmakers, it's incredible, you know, the speed that they have. And those running backs, I mean, are stellar. I, I know Saints fans, you know, will argue and in, in many ways correctly that, you know, Ingram and Kamara are the best tandem. But I think last year a lot of people would have said, you know, Freeman and Coleman just because of the way those two guys work and how they're both so fast and powerful. But then defensively, I mean, obviously they're missing Vic Beasley this year, but, I mean, last year 
I mean, his speed off the edge was something that gave, you know, the Falcons a, 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 a different defensive presence than most teams. And then Deion Jones, um, you know, in the middle, you know, running things, plus, you know, their cornerbacks, specifically Trufant is really fast. Uh, Keanu Neal, you know, is pretty fast for a safety. So I think, you know, when you, you just look at speed, I mean, that's one thing, you know, that can help teams have a lot of success. It, it, it obviously worked. You know, for Seattle, they, they had a lot. That, I mean, the, the fast linebacker thing was something that, you know, Seattle really took advantage of. And I think you see Dan Quinn sort of bringing that to Atlanta now. Josh, do you think uh, getting inside of Dennis Allen's head a little bit, um, how do you think they defend Julio Jones? Do you think they turn Marshawn Lattimore loose on him again, kind of in single coverage? Or do you think they're going to mix things up this week? No, I, I think it's going to be uh, Lattimore on him the whole game. I mean, I think last time, you know, we saw Lattimore do pretty well. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I keep coughing, guys. Um, we saw Lattimore do pretty well last time against, uh, you know, Julio while he was still overcoming an ankle injury, dealing with an illness. Ken Crawley said, that, you know, he was coughing up blood on the sideline. So I think, you know, now that Lattimore is healthy, you have to like his chances. And because, you know, Julio Jones isn't 100% healthy, he missed practice on Wednesday. So I think, you know, the Saints feel like if they can just win that matchup one-on-one, obviously you give him, you know, safety help from time to time. But, you know, if if, uh, the Saints can win that matchup, all of a sudden it makes it so much easier to defend that whole offense. Josh Katzenstein covers the Saints Renola.com in the Times-Picune. Follow him on Twitter at jkatzenstein and check out his Story that will be coming uh, later today on Michael Thomas, and I'm going to assume that will be in our print editions of the Times-Picayune on Friday. Hey, Josh, appreciate it, and uh, go hack up a lung somewhere else. I'm tired of it. Done. Can't have that anymore. Sounds good. See ya. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going around, man. He's He's been fighting that the same way I have for weeks. Uh, my wife's sick. I don't know how I've survived without getting sick from yeah. one, one of y'all. Right, your other spouse, other yeah. than me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, it's been going around, and, and you can't get rid of it. It's crazy, no, no matter what you do. So, but people are going to be rid of us in about twelve minutes. But we got one more segment. Good, because so I got back. something to talk about. Oh, soapbox time! Sports twelve eighty nola.com and the iHeartRadio app. Nothing old. Crocodile, Mister Grinch. This is Duncan Holder. On Sports 1280, New Orleans. Jeff's a little too giddy heading into this final segment. I'm curious to what this is about, and yet my curiosity is probably exactly what I think because you told me you've got a Pelicans-related note and you're giddy about it, so this can only go well, in one direction. I'm not giddy about it. I'm just giddy about pointing out. So Zach, Zach Lowe. The- I'm not giddy about it, but I'm giddy about pointing it out. Zach Lowe, the you know, great ESPN NBA analyst, has his 10 things that he likes and doesn't like in the NBA. Number four is New Orleans, not good enough on defense. Points out that the Pelicans are 26th in points allowed per possession and have committed, only, uh, have committed the second most live ball turnovers in the league. And here's his quote. DeMarcus Cousins has been the biggest defender in every sense. He's coughing up an ungodly 5.1 turnovers per game on pace to be the third most in league history. <laughs> That's not good, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. Is that, who's been it's, pointing it's that not out? Ide- it's not ideal. Who's been pointing that out all season? Can we, if, if we're in the point Jeff. Of, of, of credit getting, oh boy. 
it's just ignored in the local coverage of of the team. He's he should not be running the offense. It should not go through him. And here's another thing that Zach Lowe says, which I totally agree with. He says some of the turnovers are just silly. Thread the needle, highlight chasing when an easier pass would do. Some of the result of an offense that looks great for one or two plays, but devolves into Cousins or Davis bull rushing one on one late in the shot clock. Cousins is prone to losing his balance and then the ball, and then he doesn't get back on defense. How many of us have seen this over and over again? So I don't necessarily – You got Cousins has to accept a lot of the blame, but also if the coaches are allowing it to happen, they have to accept some of the blame as well. It's one of the reasons why why the Pelicans are among the league's lowest defensive team, worst defensive teams, because transition, they don't get back, and they give up too many easy buckets, and it's – consistently a problem and it's been a problem and I know they spent the offseason trying to get Cousins in shape so he get up and down the court and he is in better shape but that doesn't mean he still has the want to to want to get up and down the court that's one of my biggest issues when you look at the box score it always looks great because it shows points rebounds assists all that it doesn't show these things that get you beat well it shows TOs which is turnovers and we that number jumps out every game right you're I got. Of course, I got to give you credit. You've been on this all year long. Period. You have been. What, 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 I, well, what I, my point is, there's also plays that are made that don't count as turnovers. How many times do we see Cousins put his head down, barrel into the lane, and throw up some wild layup? Sometimes he gets the call, he gets bailed out, or sometimes it's a legitimate call and he gets to the line. But lots of times he doesn't. It's a missed shot, a blocked shot. And then he falls in the lane. He's complaining to the official. Meanwhile, the other team's going to the other end of the court. That doesn't even count as a turnover, but in my mind, it's exactly like a turnover because it had zero chance of ever really developing into a, a basket. It starts transitioning the other way. Those plays don't show up in the box score. They happen all too often. Well, the Pelicans, they will get back on the court tomorrow night. Uh, Start of a back-to-back at Orlando, at Miami. And currently in the eighth spot, in the West, 15 and 16. Uh, five, six, and seven. Portland, Oklahoma City, and Denver are all 16 and 15. So even though the Horn- uh, Hornets, the Pelicans are scuffling, they're still two wins away from jumping up to the fifth spot. So uh, it's it's almost, and Oklahoma City has jumped back in to the playoff mix. Yes, you knew they were going to figure it out. Right. now, you- uh, I wouldn't go that far yet. They're figuring it out. I don't think they figured it out. They yet. will though. Carmelo Anthony had four points in a win. That's fine. That's, that's probably that's the fine. Best why they're winning. That's that's a start. That's think? why they're winning. They need to de-emphasize Carmelo Anthony and go with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. They're the two most talented players on their team. They keep trying to shoehorn in Carmelo Anthony as this third amigo. I don't think he's that guy. He's a good shooter when he's open. He's not creator. That's just my opinion. I've been that, on that horse for a while. There's a reason why his teams never win. That horse is pretty strong. It's like Secretariat strong because, yes, that's, <laughs> ex- that's exactly right about Carmelo That should be Anthony. our new nickname, Clydesdale. That would be the first time I've been called that. A bet. Uh, but I will say this about the Pels, though. We talked with Will yesterday about it. They've got a very winnable stretch coming up here. They've got to do some damage here. They, I think they play almost every team they play over the next two weeks – has a losing record, is very beatable. They come back home for an easy homestand against the likes of, like, the Nets and the Knicks. Uh, the Mavericks come in here. 
Uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't win at least four of the next five games, and they can go into the new year with some momentum and maybe build some enthusiasm in the fan base. But right now, it's non-existent. Well, Jeff, you're talking about defense, and all you got to do is look at points allowed in the NBA, and the Pelicans are the second worst on defense. They give up 111.8 points per game. The only team worse is Phoenix, 113.3. So they are not obviously getting it done on defense. And, Jeff, remember going back, we played a cousin soundbite, uh, was it, I don't know if it was earlier this week or last week, where he basically said that there's not a lot of defense being played in the NBA. Accurate. How about it's more about there's not a lot of defense being played in New Orleans? What about that? Here's That's another, more like it. Not to read this entire thing, but Zach Lowe says, DeMarcus Cousins' effort in the half court has waned. New Orleans has given up an unthinkable 115 points per 100 possessions when Cousins plays without Davis, a full six points worse than Sacramento's dead last overall mark per NBA.com. Cousins is back to reaching and lurching instead of moving his feet. He says the Pelicans are 15-16, and 16, lucky that injuries – an uninspired play have wrecked the landscape around them. They might eke into the playoffs despite a substandard defense, but their margin for error is non-existent. I, I agree with that. I think most fans agree with that. They know even if they get in, they're going to get a low seed, and they're not going to go anywhere. Well, it's like those who call into our show and complain. I mean, their gripes are legitimate. Like they, they, every, Anyone who calls in and says uh, coaching, this and that, yeah. it's all valid. I mean, but it's what – that the makeup of the team is is what it is right now, and if they can't find a way to make it work in the next, let's be honest, what next twenty games, twenty five games, trade deadlines coming, and if you're not on on the right path, what do you do? I don't think this organization has the gumption to trade somebody big because I think they would admit mistake, and I think there's too much insecurity right now because of their uncertain job status. If they trade DeMarcus Cousins right now, they're just admitting that was a Hail Mary that failed, and that's sealing their fate. That, that, I, I'd be shocked if that happened. Even though I think it could be the thing to do, you could make a case if you think that Cousins might not come back. I think he's going to come back. I think he likes it here because he can pretty much do what he, he wants He said earlier here. this week that he has no inclination to believe that the Pelicans will trade him before the trade de- or yeah. by the trade deadline. I don't think they will. I, I think it, they don't want to because, it, again, they And the same thing in. with Anthony Davis. I mean, there's always so much talk about uh, – I posted this yesterday on the uh, Pelicans Facebook page about how the Celtics are going to do whatever they can, and you're always going to have teams talk about, oh, we're going to get Anthony Davis, we're going to buy Anthony Davis, we're going to get him, we're going to get him, we're going to get him. And if you keep hearing that – Sooner or later, you almost it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. You hope it doesn't happen, but how many teams are going to talk about him knowing that they want him? Well, they're going to keep talking about him as long as the Pelicans keep being 500, lurking around right. 500, a borderline playoff team. And the West is obscenely tough this year. It's not obscenely if, tough. If, it's not, if you're not the Rockets or if you're not the Rockets or the, uh, the, the Warriors. Yeah, but if you were better, you would be able to be the fifth seed. Uh, you know, right. everybody's kind of all muddied up. I yeah, mean, they, it's not as tough as everybody thought because of injuries. Yeah. I've hurt some of these teams. All right, well, wrapping up today's show a little bit early again. Coming up next, Tulane taking on South Alabama in hoops. So, good show today. So, uh, Todd Grappanini is going to take it down for us. So, we'll be back tomorrow. Sports1280NOLA.com and the iHeartRadio app. Don't get hold of everyone you meet. Oh, oh. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.